How are you tonight? It's so good to be back. Yay! And you were in such, oh, thank you. And you were in such good hands with Pamela and Candace. I got a chance to listen to both of their teachings, and um, I hope you are as thankful to God for them as I am. It was kind of crazy watching Candace on, a, on my phone in the basement <laughs> in Almaty. <laughs> so it was pretty crazy. Um, stepping into the land and lives of our faraway sisters is stepping into quite another world. Um, these past couple of weeks, Michelle and I were immersed in different sights and sounds and smells and experiences, and by God's grace, I was all in, all there, even in my dreams. Yet, as the day was approaching for us to return home, though in the day I stayed in the moment, um, not so much at night. My dreams were invaded by what waited for me when I got home. Truth be told, I began having stress dreams and be, about being unprepared to face my um, rest-of-the-year world. Stress dreams are not new for me. Don't say you figured. I often dream that I'm still in school. Graduation is approaching, and I just realized there was a class I never attended, and so I'm not going to graduate. And I rush to my locker, and I can't find it. And in my locker is my class schedule, but I can't find the locker. So I go to the office to find out where my locker is. And I find out where my locker is, and I get to my locker, and I don't know the combination. And so I have to go back to the office to get the combination, and then I forget where the locker is. Do you, anybody have these dreams? I have still never graduated high school. <laughs> yes, I'm not going to talk about that part. This, uh, I left that part out. This also happens each time we begin a new season of Sister to Sister. Little known secret, as our start date approaches, I start having dreams where I suddenly remember sister to sister has started and I have to rush out of my house, run out to the church, horrified, knowing that you're all here and we're not. No tables, no chairs, no sound system, no message, nothing is prepared. Ouch. How many of you are daydreamers? How about night dreamers? How about stress dreamers? Oh, not as many as the morning. I guess all the loose people come at night. How many of you are stress streamers? Come on. All right, that's much better. A little more honesty going on here. Nightmaring about being unprepared. We all like being prepared for what is to come. And the more important the event that's coming, the more we want to be prepared and maybe the more we stress dream. Appealing to our need to be prepared for the event of their greatest importance, the day we meet Jesus face to face, Jesus tells a parable. How can we be prepared, especially not knowing when he will return? What does readiness look like? For Jesus' followers, these questions are critical. They are urgent, or at least they should be. Jesus' parable of the ten virgins, with its focus on being prepared to meet Jesus Christ, has caused me to consider how much his coming should invade my dreams. I found myself wondering why, why, doesn't, why aren't my night dreams and my daydreams more impacted by the return of Christ? Any of you wonder that as you were looking at that parable this week? Spoken to his early disciples just a day or two before his death that would be followed by his resurrection and then his return to the Father, Jesus tells a parable about his second return when he will come and set all things right. From Jesus' parable, we're reminded that no one knows when he will return 
or when he will not. Yet, we also uncover what characterizes those who are truly his. Preparation for his return, whenever it is. So will you stand and read with me Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour. Father, we thank you for your holy word, spoken by your son, the word made flesh over 2,000 years ago, and yet intended to have a purpose in our life tonight, this very night. Oh, Lord, by your spirit, will you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that respond to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For his glory and our joy. Amen. You can have a seat. So from Jesus' parable, we find the true nature of Christianity. Only those who rightly can't wait for Jesus' return will wait rightly for it. Only those who rightly can't wait for Jesus to return will wait rightly for his return. Here we discover why some who call Jesus Lord can hardly wait for his return, why others who also call him Lord find the wait hard, and what it looks like when he is truly our Lord, moving from being one who finds the wait hard to one who can hardly wait. So again, we're discovering some who call him Lord can hardly wait for his return. Others who also call him Lord find the wait too hard. And then what it looks like when he is truly our Lord, when we are truly his. We move from being one who finds the wait hard to one who can hardly wait. So when we can hardly wait, first we have these five virgins. We're going to call them maidens. It's also translated unmarried maidens. They're prepared. Jesus' parable begins with ten who have responded to a wedding invite with anticipation. All ten want to be part of this torchlight procession that would happen in Jesus' day for the wedding feast. It would be a parade that would go throughout the entire village. They would wind their way around and take the longest route possible to the groom's house so that the entire village would be lit up by these oil-soaked torches. And we have these five wise who show their wisdom by being prepared for a possible delay. The wise made sure they had enough oil to be prepared for a long wait. And there's lots of questions about what this oil is, and if you had a chance to do your study, you'll see that it's dangerous to speculate, other than to recognize that the meaning of the parable, from the meaning of the parable, we know that oil is an inner heart change. 
It's a change that happens in us that causes a commitment to be prepared, no matter the delay. Again, other interpretations are speculative and dangerous interpretations about grace and the Holy Spirit because we cannot lose those. Jesus' point is being prepared, and Jesus' message is he wants us prepared. So these five maidens show their wisdom by being prepared for the likelihood that if the groom is delayed, they will become drowsy. They prepare for this likelihood, and then they did, as we saw. In spite of their affection for the groom, the wise fall asleep. And I love how Jesus just speaks right into our lives. He knows that living prepared for his return is not to be living in a state of red alert. He knows that life needs to go on, that life goes on as we wait for him. What Jesus wants us to see is that the wise maidens slept secure in the knowledge that if the groom came while they were sleeping, they were ready to meet him. He wants us to see that the wise were maidens that slept secure in the knowledge that if the groom came while they were asleep, they were ready to go. Our last night across the world, I packed my bags before I went to sleep. My alarm was going to go off at 12.45 a.m. to catch a 4 a.m. flight. You bet I packed before I went to sleep. I did not want that alarm to go off at 12.45 and still have to pack. I've done that before, and guess what happens? I missed the flight. Why did I pack? Because I wanted to go home. Home was waiting for me, even if I was nightmaring about it. <laughs> I was determined to be ready. I was determined to not miss home. This is Jesus' point. When we want to be somewhere, we are prepared for it. It is when the groom comes, the difference between the wise and the foolish is clear. The wise maidens were determined to not be caught unprepared. They were determined to be those who were ready and so went in to meet him. They were not going to miss it. Jesus' own, those who are truly his, are ready to meet him face to face when he returns or if delayed when he comes to meet us at our death. Yes, death. I think this is another application of this parable. We will all meet Jesus face to face. If his second coming is delayed, we will meet him in our death. Talking about death is about the last taboo in our culture. We pride ourselves in talking openly about our sexuality, and we think that means we've arrived. But you bring up death in any conversation, and guess what happens? But wouldn't that really be a better mark of a culture that has really arrived, that we can face death? My sister-in-law was visiting someone in the hospital, and she works for my husband, and they have black scrubs. And when she came into community hospitals, they said, you cannot come in in those. Black is the color of death. They are not, you're not allowed to wear that in this hospital. Christians in past ages were known as those who could not only talk about death openly, but die well as a result. Today is different, isn't it? Jesus' return for us will reveal our preparedness, our inner change within us. Until then, all who profess his name look the same. It's that meeting him face to face that separates us. And how we face lesser crises, those lesser than death, the things that we struggle with in life, they offer insight into how prepared we are to meet Jesus face to face. Have you ever thought about that? How you deal with the crises that come in your life are a great indication of how you will deal with the reality of meeting Jesus face to face. 
How do we meet Jesus when lesser crises of life come? When both sorrow and sin become a reality in our life and wreak havoc, do our lamps stay lit? When it's financial ruin or disability or disease, death of a loved one, hopes, dreams dashed, the ruin that we cause and others cause in our lives due to sinful choices, how do we respond? How we respond to crises can be a preview of how we will face the ultimate crisis of life, our death. William Taylor, in his book, The Parables of Our Savior, writes, Nothing will more correctly reveal what is in a man than the coming upon him of some crushing and unlooked-for crisis. Now, I want to tell you a story about one of our friends from far away, but it cannot be on the Internet, and you cannot share this story in any kind of social network, so I'm going to have the guys stop the recording at this point. Thank you guys for pausing that. Being prepared is a process. Crises reveal how prepared we are, but they also help prepare us. Yet those prepared cannot give away the inner change that readies them. We are lights of salvation, lighting the way for others to see Jesus, but we cannot give salvation to another. Try as we might, wish as we may. Prepared for Jesus, we can be used by God to bring people to him, to let him change them. But we cannot give others the inner change within us that only his spirit can do. And I want to share something from my heart. One of the saddest things I've seen in 20 years of working with women in my life and others is that often when we love somebody who is not prepared for Jesus, somebody who is not a believer, someone who is disobedient to the word of God, especially a spouse or child, we are tempted to pull away from the Lord ourselves, thinking that will help, thinking that it will hurt the relationship if we grow, thinking it will hurt the family or, or the communication if we know our groom better. Ladies, it's a lie from the pit and it smells like smoke. You are not going to help people you love by pulling away from Jesus because they have. The greatest chance for having an impact on their life is to grow closer to your groom. That he might give you the insight, the ability to pray, the perseverance, the hope. Resist the lie that pulling from our first love for a lesser love is helpful, my sisters, for it truly is idolatry. When Jesus returns without a warning, be it our death or his second coming, our preparedness is non-transferable. It is usable by God, but it is non-transferable. And if you're wondering if you are prepared, what you would do in a crisis like Yuri and Lena, this is why I believe Jesus told the parable. Because by nature, on our own, none of us are. We are all foolish. Jesus knows we identify with the foolish maidens. If, even if we are his, we have once been her, and we're still in the process of moving from her to being wise, wishing to be ready, but knowing sometimes we are not. He knows that we need an inner change within us by his spirit, and without it, we find the weight hard. And here we find the five foolish maidens. 
missing a wedding banquet they want to go to to no one's fault for they, but their own. They were unprepared. And on this critical, critical life and death point, Jesus' parable turns. The foolish virgins, the foolish maidens had affection for the groom. Don't miss that. They are not like the parable that Candace taught last week. They had affection. They responded to the invitation to the wedding, but they didn't have enough oil to join the parade. They didn't want to go that badly. Unless we're inwardly changed, we will be unprepared. We will miss the kingdom, and we will miss its fulfillment. Jesus is speaking to the church about those who never speak against Jesus, who even speak kindly of him, but are not changed because they don't know him. Now most of us, if not all of us, first come to Jesus this way. We come to him for what he can do for us, for what he can give to us. We want what, he, what we can gain from him, not to gain him. But when the Lord opens our eyes and our ears and softens our heart to respond to the person of Jesus Christ, we begin to want more than just his things. We begin to want him. His spirit is given to us to enable this and to give us a longing to know him, which is life. Jesus said in John 17:3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Five maidens reveal their foolishness by being unprepared for the likelihood that if the groom is delayed, they will become drowsy. And they did. Five were unconcerned about falling asleep unprepared, but they did. In ancient Palestine, it was really fascinating to study this for an unmarried young woman to move around in the dark without a lamp was unthinkable. And it wasn't so she wouldn't stub her toe. It was because what might she be doing in that dark and with whom? See, these young maidens carried the lamp in front of their feet, face, not their feet. It was not a flashlight. It was a character witness. They carried it in front of their face to witness to their character that they are not doing what they shouldn't be doing with whom they shouldn't be doing it with. It was to witness to their character and it was to protect them from being harassed, to protect them from their character being assaulted. And there's a picture here for us. All considered their behavior, all ten maidens, but only five prepared for the danger of drowsiness. Sisters, there is a danger in being drowsy. If we are not discerning about what is good and right and true and focusing on those things and pressing into those things, keeping the light of God's word before our face, drowsiness will bring danger. We will not be prepared. We will fall into the darkness and its deeds. We will not be able to resist joining in that parade. And this is why Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 15 to 16, and then above in 8 to 10, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord.
Yes, these foolish did not prepare for drowsiness, and even those of us who know the Lord, who have his spirit, who would be considered wise, need to be careful that we don't fall into that kind of drowsiness. When the groom comes, once again, the difference is clear. Personal determination to be ready. We cannot be passengers on another's readiness. The foolish say, I'll get serious about Jesus later. It's actually, interestingly, very common for the young to say, right? So it's interesting that they're young maidens. It is foolish to say, I'll get serious about Jesus' return later. There is not always time for Jesus later. We will meet him face to face for most of us without any warning, be it at his return or our death. And the door will shut. It is appointed unto man to die once and then judgment. In our final moment, we will stand alone. Matthew Henry reminds us, an outward profession may light a man along this world, but the damps of the valley of the shadow of death will put out such a light. Death divides us both. And many of us have observed this tragic reality. People who have professed or spoken kindly of, of Jesus and professed some sort of faith, and yet as they have faced death, they have been terrorized because they really haven't been prepared. They didn't have that interchange. But even for those of us who know him, death is hard to face. It is the closest we believers will ever come to hell. For it is the ultimate result of our sin. Even those who are wise, who are readying for it, must keep readying for it. And again, our readiness is revealed through lesser crises. Going back to these foolish virgins, when a lesser crisis comes, we cannot borrow the internal change of another to get us through. Knowing Jesus cannot be loaned to us. It's individual. In one sense, we are to count on one another. In one sense, we are to be interdependent. In one sense, we are the body of Christ, and we cannot really survive well or thrive without each other. But in another sense, you cannot count on your sister. In one sense, in knowing Jesus, that's individual. Looking back at the, the crises in my life, there were way too many times I demanded from others what was impossible for them to give me. Their peace, their hope, their courage. I've had to ask myself about the times I've tried to borrow another person's wisdom, their obedience, their relationship with Jesus by which the Holy Spirit changed them. I've had to ask myself, do I ask others to pray for me when I don't pray for myself? Ouch. Do we look for, to others to get the truth, to dig for the truth in God's word without digging for it ourselves when maybe that is really what God has asked of us? There is a difference between being encouraged by God through another and asking others to be courageous in our place. The response of the wise to the foolish virgins you need, we cannot give to you, you need to go buy it, this would have been met with sympathetic response by Jesus' hearers. And this was intentional. In fact, Jesus' hearers would have assumed and hoped that the groom would change his mind and say, okay, you can come in. Jesus knows that we far too often identify with these foolish maidens. We sympathize with getting drowsy while waiting. 
that we often live in this place. And it's why his parable moves from the welcome familiar of a wedding to the unwelcome fatal judgment. Jesus wants so much more for us that he became a man to give it to us. And sisters, we will be unprepared for the crisis of death until we see what Jesus' crisis prepared for us. Jesus' midnight cry, cry of the night, is the heart of Christianity. When on that cross he cried out in the sixth hour when darkness was over the land, and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus came to live the life of perfect preparedness. He was never drowsy, not one moment, to the Father's will. Yet on the cross, our sin was placed upon him. Our death, our judgment, all of our hells combined together, and the door of his Father's presence was shut. Jesus surrendered to the death we deserve to defeat it for us. As Paul writes in Corinthians, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? God is holy. He cannot relent from judgment, but he is also love. And so he judges his son in our place. Oh, Lord, may we never get over that. Never, ever get over that. We will never be prepared for death until we see how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has opened the door into a life for which we have always longed. When Hitler came to power... Dietrich Bonhoeffer became a leading spokesman for the Confessing Church. It was the center of the Protestant resistance to the Nazis. He was arrested and imprisoned in April 1943. And on Sunday, April 8, 1945, just after finishing a worship service in Schoenberg, two soldiers came in. Prisoner Bonhoeffer, make ready. Come with us. This was the summons of a condemned prisoner. As Bonhoeffer left, he said to another prisoner, This is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. Dietrich knew that death was the closest he'd ever come to tasting hell because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, his death would be the entrance to paradise. Dietrich knew what waited for him, and so he waited rightly, prepared. Michelle and I just returned from a 30-hour trip home. <laughs> Took us that long. And during the longest leg, three flights, the almost 12-hour flight in the middle, I was in the middle of the middle of the middle of the plane. In a packed plane. May I say that again? A packed plane. And the people on either side of me, Michelle was behind me, people on either side of me thought they should have part of my seat. Both of them. I tried to sleep. I even took Dramamine. And that only made me miserable awake. And I couldn't escape. I could hardly ever go to the bathroom. Because <laughs> they were asleep in my seat. 
When I got home and I got in my bed, I stayed there for 12 luxurious hours. My husband and my daughter, Emmeline, sweetly fed, dressed, and put Aubrey on the bus for me. And then I had real coffee, not instant. And I sipped it, and I thought, this is heaven. <laughs> Life here versus heaven. That bed, that coffee is nothing compared to what waits for us. But you know what I realized is that in that seat, cramped, in a lot of pain, I have a bum shoulder, the best moments in that seat were not the Dramamine, were not the movies or the food, but the time I spent in this parable. Getting to know him, that groom, and anticipate what waits made the flight so doable. And it made the blessings of home so much richer. And I wonder, what will it be like to know him in the fullness of his presence, to enjoy him in the absence of sin in the world and sin in me? Ladies, we have no idea what waits for us. But it's way better than anything we can imagine. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says, but resurrection is not just consolation, it is restoration. We get it all back. The love, the loved ones, the goods, the beauties of this life, but in new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength. Sisters, Jesus has prepared for us the life we have always wanted but never had. He has secured the final defeat of evil. Jesus has secured God's purpose in creation to live with us, you and me, his maidens, in glory and delight eternal. And entering and not entering this kingdom, this fulfillment of his kingdom, hinges on knowing the bridegroom, its king. When God opens our eyes, our hearts, opens our eyes, our ears, and our hearts respond to Jesus' invitation to the ultimate wedding feast, we are given his Holy Spirit. And by the power of his Spirit, we are given a longing and an ability to know him. It is made possible. And knowing him, this is what he says in the parable, I did not know you. Knowing him is how we move from hard to wait to can't hardly wait. Spirit-empowered waiting not only evidences preparedness for Jesus' return, but prepares us. Let me put this another way. It is very significant. Preparing for the delay and the drowsiness and to be determined and the determination, we not only evidence that we know him, but it is how we come to know him. When you go through that crisis, some of you fear those... Don't, because when it happens, you're going to see a preparedness you never knew was there. And if you know Jesus, and if you have his spirit, whatever isn't prepared, he's going to use that crisis to get you one step closer to being a maiden who can't hardly wait. This is how we come to know him. As we wait, hearing his voice, 
We get to hear it all the time through his word. Hearing his voice is how we are not startled by his midnight cry. That is what God uses, the Spirit uses to ready us, is to listen to his voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We follow and we find intimacy and then we want to follow more and we find more intimacy and then we follow more and we find more intimacy and we say finally, oh my goodness, his commandments are not burdensome. They give life. Hearing, following, obedience, we will leave nothing behind. We will be prepared for drowsiness. We will sleep secure that when he comes, nothing is left undone. Again, bags packed before sleeping that last night in, in our faraway land. Why take the time besides wanting to go home? I loved Michelle's insight. She said, we don't want to leave behind anything that matters. How much more we who wait for Jesus' return? Sisters, let's not leave behind anything that matters. Let's not leave behind any conversation unspoken. Let's not leave behind any words of love unsaid, no forgiveness ungiven, no obedience left behind. Let's not be caught unaware. In those obediences and leaving nothing behind, we will come to know our groom and we will become women who can't hardly wait. Second Peter 3.14, But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved sisters, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This is the determination we need to see through life's crises, the evidence of an inward change that readies us to meet him and the way he keeps readying us. Again, Tim Keller, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows tasting the coming joy. My sisters, death has been defeated by Jesus. And that means every lesser crisis, no matter how painful or devastating, is also defeated. In that every lesser crisis is used to prepare us, to face us, to face the ultimate crisis with joy. The cry of the night fulfilling the one that is the heart of Christianity, the cry of the night that will fulfill Jesus' cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that cry is, here is the bridegroom. Come and meet him. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Oh, precious. Powerful. Fairest Lord Jesus. Ruler of all the nations and our groom. 
this very night as we continue to gather around your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to respond that we might know you more intimately when we leave this place tonight than when we came. For your glory and our joy. Love you, Jesus. Amen.